Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, where's your table manners? Etiquette is a matter of perspective and species, from flamingos with topsy-turvy eating habits to the goats who have more of an arboreal take on dining. You'll learn how to dine with all the animals and how to politely hold your termite stick depending on your chimpanzee host's tastes. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, can Australia's version of the trash-eating raccoon fly? Of course they can! Joining me today is food writer, host of the podcast Smart Mouth, and expert on all things edible, Catherine Spires. Welcome! Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk about this. I had you on a long, long time ago, and I, I'm i trying to remember exactly what we talked about. It was food-related. It was, I think it was about animals that ate dirt um, or, or weird, yes. weird eating, weird foods that animals ate. Yes, this sounds familiar. Yes. <laughs> and I believe we did talk about turduckens on that or like a bird stuffed inside birds stuffed inside birds. Quite possibly. Yes. I mean, people love talking about those. So there's no reason why we wouldn't. Have. No, we, I, we definitely would have. And then we did drink some <laughs> dirt flavored soda, I believe. 
Yeah, which I still can't believe like you managed to track down dirt flavored soda. You know, it was surprisingly things. easy. This was back when I was still in LA and there was a like a soda shop in Westwood that just had all sorts of weird sodas. They had like barf soda and cat pee soda. Ew. Yeah, I decided on um, the dirt flavored one because that seemed the like the least likely to make us throw up. Yeah, yeah, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> but today we're talking about the table manners of some very interesting animals. I mean, table manners is very cultural, even with people like, you know, the kinds of forks and spoons you use if you use you know, cloth napkins, or if you're like me and you just tear up some paper towels and rub your face with it, <laughs> it is very, it's, it depends on your culture. It depends on sort of where you are, even within a country and uh, your, your individual upbringing. It's a very, there is no one set of table manners for humanity even. Yeah, that's right. And it like gets even more intense than that, because I would say table manners can also include things like bodily functions mm -hmm. and their appropriateness at said table, which I think is interesting. Yeah, like burping. Also, like, yeah, exactly. And slurping, mm -hmm. for instance, um, stuff like that. Etiquette, like, in, in the Western world was definitely conceived as something as, like, a unifier, which speaks to, like, how homogenous <laughs> people can sometimes be because if you're like looking at the whole world there's no way to have like universal table manners yeah yeah and i mean you know no right way really although sometimes in the west people like to think that their way is the right way uh but yeah i mean sure you know it's, yeah it, it is uh it, it is it's just highly individualized and part of it's just going to be sort of by chance, like depending on, you know, sort of your culture's history. And part of it is based on your cuisine, like what you eat is going to determine how you eat it. Totally. Yes. And we find this is not only the case with humans, but very much the case with animals. Their individual eating style is determined by so many interesting factors, their diet, their evolutionary history, uh, we'll even find out later in the show that within a single species, you can have different eating habits, different manners, which I think is really fascinating because we sometimes think of animals as just these automatons that have are have been pre-programmed with some instincts and you let them loose and they just do those things. But in fact, they seem to be able to learn and have cultures of their own. Yeah, I feel like this has probably been talked about on your show before, but having all these videos at our fingertips of like animals doing cute things has really changed my relationship with them. Because when you see like a chicken getting excited about seeing their human and hugging their human, I'm like, oh, damn, they like think about things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like eating habits, right? Like the way that we eat, it's something so pivotal to our existence, I guess, that it's so important. Like we celebrate our holidays mostly with stuff that we eat, with uh, ways that we eat, eating traditions, and the fact that animals will have their little individual ways of eating as well. It's like, yeah, they have their own little personal worlds, their personal lives and and habits. And, and yeah, it is, it is, makes us, at least for me, it makes me 
sort of feel much more like they are fully realized beings. Yeah, no, me too. Absolutely. So we're first going to talk about one of the loveliest animals in the animal kingdom. Uh, very flamboyant, very fancy. The flamingo. <laughs> they are so great. And this picture you're showing me of them, I thought was fake. Like, I thought it was plastic. I didn't realize, like, how shiny flamingos are. Well, the what's interesting is they're sh very shiny in that picture because it's shot underwater. And because their mm -hmm. feathers have these water-resistant oil on it, they will, when they're underwater, they have this, like, glistening, shiny appearance because... Uh, there's probably some air trapped in between their feathers and the water, and so that reflects light and makes them very shiny and luminescent, even more spectacular than uh, in, oh. out above the water. Very beautiful. Yes, they are wonderfully pink. They are found all over the world. They're found in fresh, brackish, or saltwater aquatic habitats in Africa, Asia, Europe, and the Americas. So they are almost a cosmopolitan bird. There are six species of flamingo. Uh, and, you know, while it is true, you may have heard that a group of flamingos is called a flamboyance, bio biologists generally don't use those like funny terms for groups of things. Like they, <laughs> they generally don't say like a murder of crows or something or a flamboyance okay. of flamingos. They will, they'll just say flock. So... Uh, I don't actually know who comes up with these goofy animal names, uh, but I think they should probably be stopped. <laughs> Stop them now before it gets too out of hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so flamingos have those wonderful pinky whitish feathers. They have long legs, perfect for wading in water. They have that long S-shaped neck and that big curved downturned beak that has that much deeper lower half of the beak and a sort of it's a, it's a it's a very interestingly shaped beak it looks kind of like a scoop uh and that's actually exactly what it is um they will actually uh use that beak to scoop up water that contains their preferred diet of brine shrimp and blue green algae but First, uh, let's talk a little bit more about their anatomy because these are weird birds. Like they're very, they're so beloved and ubiquitous. But if you like take a step back and you really look at them with fresh eyes, you see just such a weird, awkward looking animal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fact that like they're used as lawn ornaments so frequently <laughs> really speaks to like how odd they are. It's, you don't have like a lot of like pigeon decorative elements yeah. around the house. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you don't really need to look too far for a pigeon. So putting up pigeons as decoration seems <laughs> yeah. a little bit like gilding <laughs> the lily there, the lil the pigeon lily. Uh, but yeah, so, so they are very strange looking. And those lawn ornaments, they are typically, it is the titular flamingo standing on one leg with the other leg kind of bent backwards and sort of just resting there and this common misconception that flamingos or even all birds have knees that bend backwards what you what you see there that looks like their knee is actually their ankle which is bending totally normally just like our ankles bend 
Oh, I see. Oh, that changes everything, actually. Yeah. <laughs> How do they balance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they have those ankles. They're, they do have knees, but you can typically not really see them. They're usually up close to their body, usually covered with feathers. And yeah, they can and do stand on one leg. They like to rest that way. The question of why they do that is still not fully understood, but the leading theory is that it conserves energy, which seems a little odd if you do yoga or any kind of balancing. You know, it is actually pretty difficult to balance on one leg. Yeah. But the way they may be able to do it is that they can lock a leg in place and just balance on this locked leg like they're sitting on a stool. And somehow uh, they are using less muscle activity by sort of just sitting back on this one locked stool than they would be standing on two legs, which is very strange, but I suppose it works for them. <laughs> yeah, good for them. <laughs> also, flamingos can fly. We mostly see them sort of waiting, sticking their heads underwater, standing around, but they are good flyers. They migrate between aquatic habitats, especially in areas where the wet and dry seasons change and they need to migrate in order to basically follow the food source that will come with an aquatic habitat. In fact, they are such good flyers, an infamous flamingo escaped the Kansas Zoo in 2005 and was found in 2019, 14 years later, in Texas, living the free life of a pink cowboy. Oh my gosh. Wait, oh, I have so many questions. So was it tagged or something? Is that how they knew it was the same one? They, I, you know what? I'm not sure if it was tagged. It may have been, but the way they figured it out was uh, people in Texas recorded this flamingo and like sent video of it. And the Kansas Zoo basically was able to say, yep, that, that was one of ours because we lost a couple of them. And that's, you know, the right... <laughs> That 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 there looks like a flamingo to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And was it living like was it feeding itself or were people feeding it? It was feeding itself. So it had found some an aquatic habitat. I think is either by a, a river or, or um, a saltwater habitat, and it was able to yeah just take care of itself for those fourteen years. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. It is It is amazing. So flamingos are actually surprisingly hardy. Their legs are really tough and they can uh, wade in very alkaline water. So very acidic uh, water that is not you. If we tried to wade in this water, we'd not be having a good time. It would burn our skin. But for the flamingos, they oh. are able to tolerate it. And it actually helps them keep their nest safe so they can like sometimes they will find it nesting grounds that are surrounded by this really spicy water and it will protect them from <laughs> predators 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So can flamingos, can like one flamingo go from saltwater to freshwater and vice versa and have an equally good time? It really just depends on uh, whether that aquatic habitat has enough of their food source. I think they tend to like uh, salt or brackish water because that tends to have the most in terms of their preferred diet, which is brine shrimp and blue-green algae. But they do also eat crustaceans, insect larvae, and mollusks. So if they can find food uh, in that area, their, their preferred diet, it will be fine whether it's brackish or saltwater or freshwater. I see. These guys are really cool. Yeah. And you know what? So onto their table manners. They are very strange eaters. They actually eat <laughs> upside down. So <laughs> they have those long necks and they will uh, dunk their heads underwater, flip their heads upside down, and they will suck in some water that will contain that blue-green algae, the brine shrimp, uh, you know, any little critter that they can suck up in there. And similar to actually a baleen whale, they will push out the muddy water that they don't want to eat uh, through a filter and so they can eat just the food and not the muddy water that they've sort of churned up. And so they are actually filter feeders, just like baleen whales. Where is their filter? It is inside their beak. So their beaks are covered with hairy bristles called lamale, which cover their tongues and mouths. And they can just kind of push the that food or they can push that water through those uh, hairy bristles and it will filter out the delicious, delectable brine shrimp, algae, and insect larvae that they actually want to be eating. <laughs> okay, so that makes it easier that it's like part of their biology to do that. But then where is their, like, I don't know, respiratory system? upside? How do they swallow while upside down? Um, I mean, they... Breathe normally. Uh, they uh, will surface and breathe normally. They can, you know, close off their, uh, you know, they they aren't sucking in the water. It's sort of like if you took a dunked your head in a bowl of soup, room temperature uh -huh. soup, not hot soup. <laughs> took a bunch of the soup in your mouth, uh, and then sort of you didn't want to eat the broth for some reason, even though the broth is usually the best part. And you just pushed all of the broth through your teeth. And then you had this, uh, you know, all the carrots and chicken chunks and noodles and whatever. And then that's the part that you just swallow. And you can swallow it underwater or you could pull your head back up and swallow it above the water. So you are you're not breathing in the, the soup. And the flamingos okay. just basically live in their very own soup that they <laughs> they will eat <laughs> that's handy yeah and because their diet is often made up of primarily brine shrimp and blue green algae they are this lovely shade of pink because brine shrimp and blue green algae are very rich in carotenoids and carotenoids, they are responsible for producing that lovely pink coloration in um, birds and in flamingos. That is, I'm jealous of birds because I think those 
turn us turn humans more orange. Yeah. If we, they turned us this lovely pearlescent pink, <laughs> it'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So you've probably heard of the the tale of like if you eat enough carrots, you will turn orange, and that is actually somewhat true. You would need to eat just an enormous, sickening amount of carrots mm -hmm. for that to happen. You would mm -hmm. need to eat just, I mean, I feel like it would be a lethal amount of carrots. I'm not even sure if that's possible <laughs> to die from carrot overdose. But, I mean, I once thought I was going to die because I... I was younger and learning how to be healthy, and I was like, all right, so today I'm going to eat this whole bowl of carrots because that's healthy. Carrots are healthy, so eating more carrots is healthiest, and so I ate just a massive amount of carrots, and then I was lying uh -huh. on the floor with stomach cramps because apparently if you suddenly eat a bunch of high-fiber vegetables, it will hurt your stomach massively, <laughs> and I thought maybe I was going to die. God, that is so very youthful yeah. of you to be like, more is better. Yeah. And now I don't feel well. So clearly I'm going to die. By youthful, I mean like 22, uh, just for reference. Uh, That's, so I mean, that counts. Yeah, that counts. I was like, I was learning, learning to cook on my own, learning to sort of uh, graduate from boxed macaroni to actually cooking real food. <laughs> and I thought, you know, more carrots, the better. And then I almost uh, almost overdosed on carrots. Didn't turn orange though. Oh, God. Did not turn orange because if you want if you want to get that orange glow from carrots, you would have to eat them every massive quantities of them every day for that to ever start to basically those carotenoids to start to affect your pigment. I wonder if you could drink it and turn orange hmm. more quick. That's a good hmm. question. Could you could you overdose on carrot juice? I guess is the question. Yeah, it seems like it would maybe be less painful because liquids tend to, yeah. it's easier to just pass through. Right, so right. I don't know. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, in any case, I recommend a varied diet and to try not to turn yourself <laughs> orange uh, by overdosing with carrots, uh, even if it is strictly speaking possible. You know, hey, listen, you know, uh, there's spray on tan, which is probably less... Uh, painful than right. eating right. buckets of carrots a day. This is such good advice. <laughs> so <laughs> that actually explains why some flamingos that you will see will be white, especially if you go to a zoo. Uh, you may see a lot of white flamingos because they are flamingos who are not able to get enough carotenoids from their diet. And while zoos may try to give them a good diet, uh, it is really difficult to replicate their natural diet. And uh, this actually does impact the flamingo's health. And the pink color is actually what's called an honest signal uh, in terms of sexual selection, because female flamingos actually, in fact, this is, I think, pretty, uh, in terms of the sexes, they both uh, will judge each other based on their pinkness. So, you know, some some sexy quality there. They look for a partner who is very pink because that pink coloration means that that flamingo has been eating healthily, been getting plenty of those tasty brine shrimp and blue-green algae. And it is a good sign that this potential mate is very healthy. And so uh, less pink flamingos may have less success with mating. 
but the babies that they have are born a sort of grayish white. They are not born pink. They will only turn pink after they start to mature and get enough of those carotenoids from their diet. I see. Very interesting. I feel really bad for the the flamingos kept in zoos now. I mean, one wanted to escape so badly that it <laughs> went to Texas and they aren't the right color for doing it. Yeah. But yeah, so so baby flamingos are born that sort of grayish white. They get their pink color from their diet and they are actually fed something very special as babies, regurgitated red crop milk. So uh, mammals aren't the only ones that can produce milk. They just, uh, birds have a different way of doing it. So uh, flamingos of both sexes produce a bright red crop milk from glands that line the entire digestive tract. So unlike mammals who produce milk from their mammaries, um, flamingos and other birds like pigeons will produce a protein-rich substance specifically for their offspring that they can regurgitate. And this crop milk of the flamingos contains red and white blood cells, protein, and fat, all perfect for a growing chick. And as they consume more of these carotenoids, they will eventually turn pink in adulthood. Wow. Wow. I So I understand that this, like, in and of itself is not more disgusting than like drinking the milk of other species, mm-hmm. but it's a brand new idea to me and I'm really struggling with not like <laughs> feeling really sickened by it. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. It probably, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna guess now I've never smelled flamingo crop milk, but based on the smell of like just the flamingos at the San Diego Zoo, I'm gonna say the crop milk probably doesn't smell great. It's probably not a good Oof. smell. <laughs> Oh, this is rough stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I try not to think too much about milk in general. Like, uh, Mm, you know, I don't smart. I don't actually drink that much milk. I I do eat ice cream, though, which is derived from milk. Uh And I do eat cheese. Uh, That slight distance from milk uh, with the cheese and the ice cream does help me. But when I think too hard about milk, it starts to get to me like i'm i'm just thinking about like man this this came out of a cow or a goat like right out of them right out of their udders yeah you know yep yeah it's a little strange it also is gnarly yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's just it's this like this weird fatty protein substance and it came right out right out of that (laughs) right out of that animal Uh, it sure did just shot right out ice cream is so good It's so good. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> I know. There's nothing we can do. Um, absolutely except not. maybe maybe we should treat the cows good on the farms. I'm just saying, you know, maybe maybe we should. No. Yes. <laughs> if we're being honest, like I think about this all the time. I don't in and of itself have a problem with eating animals or their products. It's but it's modern farming. Yes. That's where the problems oh, I, are. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, I think if we are to avail ourselves of animal resources, the very least we can do is to treat them really well. And we don't do that yes. so much. So we need to mm-hmm. we need to fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Because I think it's going to take a while to put a crop milk ice cream on the market. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, 
Well, those baby baby flamingos would love it. Right. Yes, it'd be so good for them. Speaking of garbage food, wild cockatoos <laughs> in Australia have learned to raid trash cans for food. Okay. Okay. So are they like raccoons with wings? Exactly. Yes. So ah, sulfur-crusted cockatoos are a popular pet, but they are, of course, actual wild animals. And they can be found in Australia in large wild flocks. So sulfur-crusted cockatoos, they are that snowy white bird with the uh, little crest on the top of their head that is tipped in yellow. And they have grayish black beaks. And they are highly, highly social, highly intelligent. And I always, whenever I talk about uh, these like wild parrots or cockatoos, I like to inform people that they are very difficult pets. They are expert tier pets. Uh, it is not a pet to get on a whim. They really, uh, they have, I think, like the intelligence of a one or two year old human child. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. They are very intelligent and very social. So um, often they will have a lot of behavioral issues when they are made pets because they just do not, they get really bored and frustrated and they will then, you know, start, start biting you. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Do you think, I mean, doesn't that mean that like we shouldn't keep them as pets? Because apparently dogs have the intelligence of two-year-old humans is what one study found, but they also seem to like yes. us. Well, it really, I think... <laughs> You know, this isn't going to be another sort of zoo-like answer where I think that, generally speaking, they aren't great pets. If you, if someone is a bird expert and knows what this bird needs uh, to be happy and is willing to basically be there for this bird and give it all the attention it needs for the rest of the bird's life, and uh, you know, in it is. It is. It would be your entire life would revolve around the birds and making them happy. Um, then maybe it could work, but it just to me it seems the amount of effort. It'd be like I mean, it would be like having a two year old for the rest of your life. So if that's your thing, right. if you can actually manage that, you know, I don't think it should be illegal. But woof. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, it, so what is interesting, the similarity between these cockatoos and dogs is they are they are very social animals and dogs are very social. They have had the benefit of co-evolving with us for thousands and thousands of years. And so they make actually very good pets because they can get a lot of fulfillment uh, and they can communicate well with humans, whereas these birds have the highly social element, but they are social with their own species. So they are not mm. domesticated animals. They are wild animals that are sometimes tamed, but not domesticated like a dog. And so the cockatoos found in Sydney, Australia, while they can be found in uh, suburban environments in people's neighborhoods, they are still very wild animals. They're actually urban adapters. So when cities take over a natural habitat, animals have a few choices. They can move away. Uh, they can try to keep doing what they're doing. Or they can change their behavior and exploit the presence of humans. 
And intelligent birds, uh, even things like rats and raccoons, will often do that. They will try to exploit the human presence because why not? Humans have already taken over their area. They might as well do their best to make the best out of the situation. Yeah, why not? Exactly. So, you know, when you see a raccoon rifling through your trash, you may be annoyed, but look, you... Raccoons were here first, uh, and now we've got our garbage out there, and why not uh, avail themselves of our garbage? It's probably not the healthiest thing for them, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, so as someone who lives in L.A., and you used to live here, so you know, um, there are coyotes everywhere in L.A., and are they doing the same thing, the same adaptation thing? They are, yeah. So I think that they are more sort of like... They've adapted, uh, but they're not exploiting as much as some of the other animals. So, like, I would say that things like rats, raccoons, pigeons, squirrels, they are uh, exploiters. So they are urban exploiters. They have figured out how to avail themselves of human uh, infrastructure and waste, whereas coyotes mostly try to kind of stay on the edges of uh, human society and then but they will uh, you know eat the the other urban exploiters like rats pigeons raccoons you know maybe not a raccoon a raccoon yeah. is pretty fierce but a baby raccoon for sure yeah. uh, although ki- will they eat Go oh ahead. they I, probably what you were about to say but yeah they do sometimes eat small dogs and pets yeah, yeah, they totally do. And honestly, I don't know if we're like watching evolution in real time. It can't possibly be happening this fast, right? But since I've moved to LA like 16 years ago, I feel like the coyotes have gotten bolder. Like they jump into people's yards now. They will follow. If you're walking your dog on a leash, they'll still follow you, even though like the dog is right next to a human. They're getting wild out here and smarter, I think. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because even though Genetic evolution tends to be slow, somewhat slow, although, you know, with extreme pressures, it can definitely happen much more quickly than you would think. Like you can have, um, with adequate pressure, some genetic changes that happen over, uh, you know, several generations, Uh, usually not too extreme, but uh, some at least. Uh, Certainly we can see that when we uh, try to like... put artificial selection on an animal in just like a few decades, you actually see like some really interesting changes in their, their genetics. Um, But with coyotes, you will have like, you know, fluctuations, I think in both things like coyote population and coyote boldness based on the availability of food on their proximity to urban environments and, you know, coyotes are pretty smart. They are, I think they are, they, I, I'm not sure like where I would rank them next to something like a cockatoo. Cockatoo's puzzle solving mm-hmm. is probably better. It's always hard to sort of um, compare intelligence between two different species because their intelligence is just going to be very different. It's not necessarily better overall. It's going to be better in some ways and worse in other ways. But coyotes, um, are, are highly intelligent. They're, they are social pack animals. And so they, they have um, a lot of really complex behaviors. And so it wouldn't surprise me if over sort of t- 
you know, even over shorter periods of times, they could get bolder or more timid based on the situation and based on maybe even learning from their other coyote, their other pack or their parents, learning their behavior and sort of taking cues from that. And this is actually what is happening with the cockatoos in Sydney. So they are learning from each other how to open garbage cans. So certain sulfur-crusted cockatoo flocks figured this trick out. It probably started with one or maybe a few individuals learning this, and uh, then it spread to other individuals in this flock. And like I said, cockatoos are very intelligent. They're great puzzle solvers, so it really doesn't take too much uh, in terms of inspiring them to figure this out. So now you have entire flocks of these cockatoos who understand how to open these garbage cans. That, I am so proud of them. I love that. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm not in Australia, so I can't be annoyed by it. I think that is so great. And this article that you linked to says that um, garbage cans are look the same across all of Australia. Is that like part of the puzzle solving that they're good at? They're like, oh, this is a white bin with a red thing on top. I know what that means. You know what? I bet it is. I think you're probably exactly right because, you know, they have learned that this is a source of amazing thrown out, I don't know, what is it, Vegemite? <laughs> what they have in <laughs> Australia. <laughs> and they're super into that. I actually don't know if they like Vegemite. Maybe even a cockatoo is like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I like, I'll, I will eat garbage, right. but I'm not gonna, not gonna eat Vegemite. <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually, I don't know that much about Vegemite. Maybe it's very good. I apologize to all my Australian listeners. I'm just teasing you. It's probably great. And I love you guys. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny because I think, does the general public know like Australians love podcasts more than any other nationality? We have to be so careful about what we say about them. <laughs> I know. They're our biggest listeners I know. for like every podcast. Right. And I mean, you know, Australia, I, I talk about Australia all the time because they have some of the most amazing animals there. So yeah, I got I got to be careful about insulting Vegemite. I'm going to lose like 90% of my listeners. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, so so these, uh, these sulfur-crested cockatoos are showing some evidence that these birds can have a culture because it is certain flocks of these that have figured out this garbage opening eating technique. And so, you know, you could say that these cockatoos have a culture of, you know, garbage eating, which I think is just really interesting because we think of humans as having a culture, but then when we try to extend that to animals, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's a harder sell to be like, no, animals can have a culture. But in my opinion, this is absolutely a sign of animal culture because they are l learning something like you have some innovators who learn this and then they pass it on down the generations. So you'll have young cockatoos, young naive cockatoos learning this from their flock and then doing that behavior. And I, I think that's a perfect description of culture. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, another thing I think that's really interesting, especially because you're bringing up your observations on coyotes in L.A., um, the research mm -hmm. on these cockatoos was done using citizen science. So residents of a community documenting the behavior of animals that they will see in their more suburban or even urban environment, and then they will send their findings to researchers. And if you live in L.A. Um, or Sydney or, I mean, probably many, many cities around the world, 
there are, if you like Google like citizen science and then your city, you can usually find places that you can like send photos to or send observations to. And they really, really appreciate uh, you writing in because you will help with their research, with their observations. So if you see something interesting, if you take a picture of it, you can send it into, I think iNaturalist is a really good one because I think that's um, for a lot of different uh, regions. You can send that in and then tag basically where you spotted this animal and then researchers can look up these observations for their research. So yeah, if you if you feel like helping out with uh, with animal behavioral research and you spot an animal, um, of course, never approach the animal, never try to, <laughs> you know, do your own yeah. experiment on the animal. But if you take a picture of it or make an observation, you can uh, send it send it into like iNaturalist or like Google Citizen Science uh, with your city name, and usually you'll you'll find some things there, and uh, it's really cool. It's really amazing that we can all kind of get together and learn more about garbage raiding cockatoos or uh, even like coyotes in Los Angeles. I just had the most fascist idea, but Uh I believe in it. I think, I feel like every time you move somewhere, you should be required to do citizen science for (laughs) a year. I'm on board with this. If you want to become the dictator and and do this, uh, I for one support it. Okay, good. I found my first supporter. Yeah, because people can sometimes be so disconnected from everything around them, including the animals. And I do think, like, this is such a stupid example, but sometimes I'll hear, like, banging around in the little breezeway behind my bedroom. And you would think that that would be scary, except for I've learned by now that that is the resident raccoons, who are, by the way, the most enormous raccoons I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. They live in my neighborhood and it's just them. Like, I don't know why they're so loud, but they do it all the time and I'm not scared of it. So like everyone who moves to a new neighborhood should like have that understanding of like the other creatures around them. I mean, you know, we've uh, these sort of sprawl of uh, human society has been pretty, pretty drastic, I would say. And so, yeah, getting used to our animal neighbors, I mean, and not seeing them as, you know, pests because like a raccoon outside is not not hurting you you know you you don't want to pick it up and let it scratch your face up no but you know (laughs) it's it's not hurting anyone maybe it'll make a little bit of of ruckus but probably to them we're making a lot of ruckus with our with our (laughs) exact weird metal things with wheels and and our weird trees that make buzzing sounds with big wires coming out of them so you know perspective we're the loud ones, yeah. yeah. Also, one time, I my dog and I were chased by a skunk, and I keep hearing people be like, no, skunks <laughs> don't chase. And I'm like, I didn't make this up. I need to report this to someone. We should understand that skunks are pissed <laughs> off enough at us now that they will chase us. <laughs> yeah, my scariest animal encounter was with a skunk standing uh, fully upright, like not even, you know, the back the handstand they do when they're about to spray you. He, he was just like uh-huh. standing on his hind legs like a person staring at me from the darkness. And for some reason, it just looked <laughs> it looked like a tiny Sasquatch. And I and my dog and I both panicked. <laughs> so I I for one think as much as I love skunks and I think they're amazing. If you if one of them is standing staring at you at nighttime, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. 
No, absolutely. The one that chased us was screaming, too. <laughs> like, it was a full experience. Oh, it was boy. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Weirdly, it wasn't the time we got sprayed. We got sprayed by a different skunk. This one just chased us. Yeah. I figure it had babies or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, know. like, they'll sometimes try other techniques to scare you off other than spraying you. Because, you know, they, they would prefer not to have to waste their their good that good skunk juice that they've been cultivating ah, so like if they can I you know kind of scare you off without having to spray you they, they will but like they, they will definitely spray you if you right. present to them a, a, a threat uh, especially doggies because doggies yeah. don't get it they think that they're making a new friend right. they think they're sniffing a new butt and then they're gonna get sprayed in the face and then it's tomato juice yep. baths for weeks <laughs> yeah Yeah, it's the worst experience I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So we have talked about birds who will go just about everywhere but trees to feed. So what exactly do you think we're going to find in a tree today? Well, if I had to guess, something that's not supposed to be in a tree. (laughs) Well, that's all just a matter of perspective because we're going to find some goats right in a tree. 
So goats are wonderful climbers, uh, and they can indeed climb trees, and they will do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so goats are incredible. I love pygmy goats because they are absolutely the cute, cutest. Cute, cute. Um, so cute. So cute. We had them when I was growing up, mostly pygmy goats, but occasionally we'd get other kinds of goats. And I remember not caring for Nubian goats. Mm. Um, I don't think they're... I mean, pygmies are probably more used to humans because they're so cute and sometimes people keep them as like indoor pets, but Nubians are like... I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why you're here. They're serious like, goats. They're like, <laughs> yes, there's they're a serious. Uh, I mean, they are domestic goats, uh, but they they mean business. Yes. Yeah. They're not here for a good time. <laughs> I mean, they're there for a good time, but not for your good time. Oh, shoot. I thought it was all about me again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah. Goats in Morocco will climb trees to eat argan fruit. So uh, these goats are domesticated, but like many domesticated animals found all over the world, they uh, often are very comfortable roaming free rather than being restricted to feeding and confinement. In fact, one might say they prefer to be able to roam around and feed and graze and <laughs> engage in interesting feeding behaviors uh, all on their own. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this will lead to really interesting behaviors, such as the goats climbing trees to feed on the argan fruit. So, and this is not just one goat hanging out in a tree. This is many goats in a single tree hanging out, which can be a really interesting sight. I can't imagine seeing this in real life. I would absolutely lose my mind. This is so funny. It's also cute. It's also like slightly menacing. There's a lot going on. <laughs> if I didn't know what this was and then I happened upon it, I'd be like, well, I'm about to get possessed by Satan, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. This is like, oh, what's that goat's name from the witch? Like handsome, handsome Jack or something? No, that's from a video game. What's the goat? What's the goat? The goat. I don't know. The goat from the witch. What's his name? Black Philip. That's him. Right. He's so cute. Yes. I, I can't. It's Aww. really hard for me to take that horror movie seriously because he's such a cute little goatee. I think goats are very cute. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. Yes. But, you know, goats, they have a fierce personality. Uh, like you mentioned, not all goats want to necessarily you know, just like hang out and cuddle uh, and romp around indoors. They like right. to be outside and be wild and do their stuff, which in this case for these Moroccan goats is climbing up trees, chewing on these argan fruits and spitting out the seed. So <laughs> herders, because again, these are typically not just like or feral goats. These are actually uh, goats that belong to a goat herder. Uh, but they will encourage their goats to climb the trees to uh, get more. I mean, it ranges the the why people like these goats to uh, climb the trees. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a little more nefarious. So uh, in the autumn, um, the, uh, you know, goats like and in sort of the more winter months, it's a little harder for goats to get uh, good nutrition. 
Um, so the goat herders will sometimes prune the trees to make it easier for the goats to climb up there so that they can eat the argan fruits, get a little more nutrition, and they will actually uh, sort of cultivate these trees specifically so that the goats can climb up when the fruit are ripe and ready for these goats to eat them. Okay, I love that. That reminds me of those, what do you call them, cat whatevers? Cat grass? Cat. <laughs> or catnip? No, it's like when people will um, build structures in their house for their oh, cats cat to trees? climb on. Or cat. Yeah, cat, yeah. Uh, yeah, catwalks, cat trees. I'm not really, sh- you know, cat. Uh, cat high rises. <laughs> mansions. <laughs> cat mansions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's just sort of the same thing, and I understand that there's, like, a more basic reason for doing it, but, like, I gotta imagine some people actually have fun, like, pruning these trees in a specific way. It's This is adorable. Yes. So far. Yes. I mean, sometimes the goat herders also gain from the goats eating the fruit. I mean, the goats are having a good time eating that fruit, and the goat herders will uh, collect the argan seeds that they spit out, uh, which can be pressed into a highly valuable argan oil which is used both in cuisine and in cosmetic products. Yeah, I was thinking argan oil is probably really big business yeah. right now. It's in like it's such a selling point of so many skincare products. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, good chance that your argan oil was spit out by a goat. <laughs> I love that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, some uh, maybe little bit less scrupulous herders will run a little bit of a goat in tree racket. Uh, They will encourage or manipulate the goats to stand in the trees so that tourists can take photos of them. And it's, I mean, if they're just encouraging the goat to go up in the tree or hoisting up the goat and putting it in the tree, it's probably okay. But if the goats are tied to the tree, I don't think that's a great time for the goat. Just, I mean... No. Yeah. Generally speaking, if the goat wants to be in the tree, the goat will go up in the tree. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have this thing lately about leaving animals alone. Like I you know, <laughs> always wanted to go on safari. And now I'm like, no, I don't want to go on safari. Like they don't need us watching them all the time and coming into their habitat. So, yeah, no tying goats in trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like if you see goats hanging out in trees, eating argans, argan fruit, and you want to, like, take a picture of them and stuff, it's, I, I don't think that's really hurting the goats. But, yeah, you don't want to tie them up in the trees. That's probably not good. But I think, uh, from mm-hmm. what I read, I, I don't think that's, like, super common. I think the, the most common thing is just, you know, goats like to climb up there and eat the argan seeds, or the fruit, <laughs> at least the fruit that surrounds the seeds. And the interesting thing, uh, there was actually research done on the these goats to determine whether they poop the seeds out or they spit the seeds out. And they mm-hmm. actually they do indeed spit the seed out more than and they don't generally actually eat the seed because argan seeds are pretty big and they're too large to comfortably pass through the goat's digestive system. So they will spit them out or regurgitate them rather than uh, poop them out. I see. Well, I'm sure that's a comfort to some argan oil enthusiasts. I suppose. <laughs> Although, I mean, people eat that or drink that coffee from the those civet, what is it? The Kapi Luwak coffee uh, that is like from the uh, digestive, digested coffee cherries that civets uh, will, will eat and pass through. And so that is collected from civet poop. 
Yeah, but I just learned about the process of decaffeinating coffee, and I know not everyone drinks decaf, but there's all kinds of horrible chemicals involved, and so I'm like, that's like the civet poop is the least of our worries. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually cannot recommend uh, drinking the civet poop coffee. I mean, first of all, it's obscenely expensive. So why? Right. Yeah. Also, uh, there are there are, like unfortunately because it got so popular, probably because of the weirdness of it. Uh, there are like these civet mm-hmm. farms. So instead of just like collecting the civet poop, it's like these civets like in in the, this sort of farm <laughs> situation where it's kind of like kind of like the CAFOs, like the concentrated animal feeding operations, where they you know put them in very small uh, containers and like overfeed them so that they poop out more uh and that's bad you know so yeah humans are so weird very strange like we cannot just be like oh this is cool like we just demand more and more and more and don't go how like why why do we have that as a species i mean i could i could just say because of money but that's probably a little bit of a cop-out (laughs) <laughs> well someone should find out yeah someone should get on that why why humans so naughty should be a that should be a study <laughs> it should. why are humans such naughty naughty uh rascals yeah no it's you know <laughs> i think that we can definitely have we can definitely admire animals and even you know even have sort of these interesting interactions where like they eat the fruit they like the fruit we want the seeds they spit out the seeds that's fine just as long as we're not jerks about it Right. Yeah. Which, you know, it sounds like a lot yeah, of people, a lot of, a lot of people that manage these goats are not jerks about. So I, th- I think it's potentially okay. You know, I, mm-hmm. I have not looked into like whether it exploits human labor. Maybe it does. And that would make me sad, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so far, so good. And fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Otherwise, we need the goats and people to form a union, you know? Wouldn't that be cool? Yes. Man, I would. Yes. If, yes. if I unionized with a goat, I would feel extremely, like, very secure because I know that goat would, like, have my back. Yeah. I got to imagine that once a goat says they'll do something, they really commit to it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just very, mm-hmm. very stubborn. Mm-hmm. They could sit in a tree and be like, you can't, you can't break this strike because you'd have to come up in this tree first. But you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They have such good organizing tactics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> what's interesting about this is these are, of course, domesticated goats. These are goats that have been selectively bred uh, to be domesticated, to be better uh, farm animals, um, to make it easier for us to collect their milk, uh, you know, even use them for meat. So the question is, like, did these argan trees, like, the the fact that they spit out the seeds means that they are able to do some seed dispersal, which is potentially good for the argan tree. Too many goats in the trees is actually bad, like that can damage them, or if the goats can get in the trees before the fruit is ripe. So the question is, like, do these are these argan trees, could they have evolved sort of with the goats in mind? Uh, because goats, the domesticated goats, are a lot younger than the trees, like the Trees have been around a lot longer. So if the argan trees had any sort of evolutionary relationship with goats, it would have to be with their ancestors. And 
the original wild goats from which we bred domesticated goats did actually originate in the Mediterranean basin, which includes Morocco. And so it is possible that these wild goat ancestors did actually climb these argan trees and chew up fruits and spit them out, just like the uh, modern domesticated goats. In fact, close relatives of the wild goat, the ibex, does sometimes climb trees to graze, which indicates that the tree climbing of domesticated goats may be a wild behavior that they've retained over all of this time of domestication. That is just very cool. These modern goats doing ancient things. Yeah. I like that for them. Yeah, I, I like yeah. it for them too. Good for you, goats. <laughs> also, I don't know what breed of goats they, these are, but these goats that you have pictures of are so shaggy. Yeah. They're very cute. I mean, I think they are, they might, I mean, basically there are, there are a few Moroccan breeds of goats, uh, but yeah, they're just, they're just Moroccan domesticated goats. Uh, I think there may be like two or three breeds that tend to, okay. tend to be in these herds. So, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, okay. I mean, they're they're all all domesticated goats. I think are derived from the same line of uh, goats, uh, and then they, of course, it's kind of like dog breeds. How like even though they're all derived from sort of the same line of lineage of original uh, domesticated dogs, we have a huge diversity of them because of how strange we are when domesticating them. So we have the Chihuahua and then the Great Dane, mm -hmm. and they're both dogs. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Similarly, I think these goats, uh, you know, they, they are of these just the general domesticated goat lineage, but they are specifically a few breeds of Moroccan goats. Okay. I like them. Mm -hmm. They're nice. <laughs> <laughs> they are very fluffy. Good. <laughs> are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So table manners can be wild like the flamingos who eat upside down and spit out muddy water or goats who eat up in trees and spit out seeds because there's a lot of spitting that they do. Uh, but we have also talked a little bit about table manners and culture. So uh, we talked about those sulfur-crested cockatoos that seem to have a bit of culture of learning how to open garbage cans from their flock. Uh, and humans, of course, as we talked about, have different kinds of table manners across cultures, from how you hold your utensils to what kind of utensils you use. It's all sort of, uh, it, there. there's a huge diversity in terms of food culture, and what is considered rude in one culture may be considered polite in another, like, like you were mentioning earlier, Catherine, about like burping and slurping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so two of my interests are one is etiquette books and one is advice columns. And something that I've seen come up a couple times is when Americans go to Europe and vice versa. And some people I'm remembering in particular this letter about someone with new German colleagues and the Germans were mean to this American about the way the hands in which she was holding her knife and her fork. And I'm left handed, so I can never remember which one is correct yeah. in America. But it's so interesting that it can be that minute. Yeah. Like which which hand is holding the fork? Like ultimately who cares but at the other hand people can make a big deal out of it and and like shame you for it, which is not the intention of etiquette. <laughs> yeah, and I mean here in Italy I'm still trying to learn all of the different rules of etiquette. I'm sure I break them constantly. And it really depends too on your region. I live in uh, northern Italy and southern Italy they have a whole different set of etiquette and rules. And I'm, you know, because I haven't lived in southern Italy, I don't know too much about it, but one of my friends was telling me about this is that like you if you eat everything off your plate in certain uh, in certain locations in southern Italy, it is a sign that you want more food. So you are basically you have to leave a, if you're done eating, you have to leave a little bit on your plate because basically what that's saying is that you have you simply cannot eat more food, but it was delicious and you'd like to eat more, but you are so full you can't even finish the last few scraps on your plate. But if you clean your plate off, it means that you have such a good appetite that you could eat more. And so they'll serve you more and, you know, expect that you want more. So that stuff is so hard. There's a Russian restaurant here in L.A. that I like. But the owner, if you don't clean your whole plate, will be absolutely crestfallen. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it like I don't even know if it's culture by culture. It might be house by house, like whether you're supposed to finish all your food or yeah. not. That one is so tough. Yeah. And like we we wouldn't need all these arcane etiquette rules if we were 
allowed in every society to just be like, I'm not very hungry right now. But sometimes you like aren't supposed to do that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it is. It's so it's very tricky. Well, just as humans uh, have different rules of etiquette based on your country, the specific location in your country, your culture, even your own family. It's just so, so many different types of etiquette. This is the case for our cousins, the chimpanzee. Uh, so chimpanzees uh, are our evolutionary cousins uh, that, you know, you may not want to invite to dinner, but we are related <laughs> and uh, they are very complex eaters with a varied diet. They are omnivores. They are also highly intelligent, highly social, and they are capable of using tools. And so researchers wondered if all chimpanzees have the same eating habits, use the same tools, essentially whether they use the same utensils, whether they have the same manners, or if they could differ based on their population. So they presented two different chimpanzees from different populations with a food puzzle. So thin holes filled with honey. Basically, they drilled these thin holes in like, a, I think, a piece of wood or, or, or some other solid block and then filled it with honey, which chimpanzees love. Who doesn't love honey? I love honey. Um, <laughs> And so one group of chimps, this like one population of chimps, tended to use their fingers or rolled up leaves to get at the honey, whereas the other separate chimp population tended to use sticks instead. And so they found that it, this actually correlated to their habits, like when they're just generally eating anything. So in one population... They tend to use their fingers or they use rolled up leaves as their tools to get like termites out of a mound, whereas the other population would tend to use sticks as their utensil. And so these two different separate groups uh, would have different ways of solving this puzzle based on the etiquette, basically, of their their own uh, population. That is so cool. That is so interesting to hear about. And I guess like... I shouldn't be so like blown away by it because we know that humans use different utensils, but uh, this is really cool. I like knowing that. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, it's. I think it is good to. It's humbling to remember that we aren't. We are special as a species, but we're not as special, maybe as we think, in terms of <laughs> uh, like that. Every yeah. aspect of human culture is not completely unique. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what's so what's interesting with the chimpanzees uh, is that they probably excel on two fronts, both on individual problem solving and social learning. So if you have a naive chimp, chimp who has not had the opportunity to learn from other chimpanzees, they will figure out tool use on their own. Um, but they are also very good at learning and they're highly social. So they will copy behaviors. So these chimpanzees uh, will copy these behaviors, not because it is the only way for them to learn how to use a tool because they can learn on their own, but it is because they are really optimized for being highly social. So even though they are capable of learning how to figure out tools on their own, they tend to go with what the other chimpanzees in their own group are doing. So they will they prefer basically to learn maybe from their 
mother or from their peers than they would do just like trying to haphazardly learn on their own. Which is exactly what we do. Exactly. Yeah. Like we can figure out problems on our own, but it is so much easier and so much better (laughs) to learn from each other. Yeah. Yeah. If one of our ancestors already figured it out, let's (laughs) go with that. (laughs) Well, uh, not to be uh, a a pedant, but uh, they aren't actually our ancestors. They are our cousins. So we... Oh, no. I meant as humans. Oh, I see. I see. So I was I was really patronizing for no reason. It's okay. I do that all the time. It, it happens. We're podcasters. It's actually, like expected. did you see me like push my glasses up and like go? Actually, actually, Catherine. <laughs> yes. So yes, we uh, yes our human ancestors. Uh, we mm-hmm. we like to learn from, and you know I imagine like if. Uh, if chimpanzees and humans had to eat dinner together, that we would maybe disagree on how to hold our, you know, various implements. But, you know, we're, we'd, we'd all be trying. Yeah. And like if that happened, if humans could get over themselves enough to be like, this is different, we're not better, then that would be illuminating as well. Yeah. Because it's not like about us having to teach them how to do something. It's like they actually have their own way of doing it. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I I would, though, also love if like chimpanzee got really offended that you were using a fork and not a rolled up leaf. Smack the fork out of your hand and be like, that is not how we do things around here. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I could see it happening. I don't I don't know if this is just correlation, but I feel like I've heard multiple stories over my life about chimpanzees ripping humans' faces off. Yeah, it does happen. And to me... Another another thing that, not great as a pet. That in- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that indicates that they have like strongly held opinions. Yeah, yeah. Chimpanzees are not the chillest of the great apes. They Mm-mm. are... Mm-mm. They're strung pretty. They're wound pretty tight. Like they're they're high strung, <laughs> high maintenance. Uh, if you want a chiller uh, ape, bonobos are much chiller. They they're much cooler. I mean, they they have much chiller culture of their own. Chimpanzees a little more um, you know, a little more face rippy. I'm gonna say, yeah, more face rippy. But also the bonobos are like. I try to be sex positive, but they're like a little more free than I feel like I would be comfortable with. Like, I don't need to see people masturbating and doing it constantly. They are Is there very, like a middle ground? They're very 60s, 70s sexual revolution. They are. <laughs> yes. It is a constant yeah. swinger party. You go visit the bonobos. They've got a glass bowl with all the keys in it, rolled up leaves in it. Yeah. And they're like, hey, leave your rolled up leaves in the glass bowl because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there needs to be chimps and bonobos cannot be the representatives because they've both got issues major issues yeah somewhere between the bonobos and the chimps maybe that's what we are though oh Mm, makes you think doesn't it that probably makes that doesn't make any sense evolutionarily but you know hey it sounds good (laughs) it sounds you know yeah it sounds sounds cool truthy ish uh (laughs) Well, before we go, we have to play a little game, and it is called Guess Who's Squawkin', the mystery animal sound game. 
every week I play a mystery animal sound and you, the listener, and you, the guest, try to guess who's squawking. And this can be any animal in the entire world. So birds, uh, insects, mammals, cetaceans, which are whales, fish. Did I mention birds? It can be anything. So uh, with an open mind and open ear holes, uh, I will play a sound and you'll try to guess who is making that sound. So last week's mystery animal sound hint was if you hear this coming from the walls, you are in a heap of trouble. Is the 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 hint that you gave earlier related yes, to this yes. sound? Yes. So the hint for this sound is if you hear this coming from the walls, you're in a heap of trouble. Is it a termite? You are correct. Oh, yay. That's yes. exciting. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is the sound of an agitated termite and you do not want to hear this coming from your walls. No, you don't. Congratulations to Ariel, Natalie N, and Joey P, who correctly guessed termites. And I have to issue a mea culpa, an apology, an oopsie whoopsie. Uh, last week, I don't think I actually announced the winners to the Guess Who's Squawkin' game, and you guys who guessed the Hercules Beetle. That was my bad. That was my goofer. So the winners of that issue, that uh, that round of Guess Who's Squawkin' was Remy H. and Joey P. Uh, good job, you guys. Sorry, I forgot to do that last time. Uh, please forgive me. Speaking of table manners, these little guys would eat your whole table and the rest of your home. These are termites. If you hear this, it's a very bad sign because you may have a termite infestation. So... Before we hate on termites for destroying your home, let's learn a little bit about them and appreciate them. Uh, so termites are eusocial. So they live in a colony structure similar to bees or ants where you have a reproductive caste system. So the queen reproduces uh, and the other termites work together for the colony. So termites will communicate with the colony using pheromones, or sometimes using headbanging, just like any good metal fan. So <laughs> soldier termites, when they detect a breach in the tunnel of the colony, will start banging their heads against the walls, which causes that clicking sound and alerts workers to come repair the breach. So uh, why do termites eat your house? Uh, so basically, termites originally would eat decaying wood in forests. Uh, and so they are actually really good for the forest because they help with the process of decay. They're able to digest wood with the help of gut microbes. So baby termites actually are not born being able to eat wood. They have to be fed regurgitate, which is, you know, fancy word for throw up, which contains this gut microbiome. And so otherwise, they would not be able to feed on the very tough to digest wood cellulose. So originally, they didn't really want to eat your home. But hey, like they don't know the difference between a decaying tree in a forest and your bunch of dead trees 
turned made into a big old hollow cube. So they're going to eat it if they have the opportunity to do so. I love that context. I had no idea that, I mean, this is like such a humanoid like point of view, but I was like, they're in the woods too? I thought yeah. they only bothered us. <laughs> <laughs> They, uh, yes, they, they like, as soon as we started building wooden houses, that's when they popped on the scene. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they actually, they are very good uh, for the forest environment because they break down that dead plant material and uh, they can, they convert what is inedible for a lot of animals into actual edible things. Like I just mentioned, those chimpanzees, they love to eat termites because they are delicious little protein filled snacks. So they are uh, great for great for their little biomes. Not so good if they get into your house. And, uh, right. you know, I am, of course, a big advocate of not being annoyed by animals uh, living near your home or uh, but in this case, uh, they are <laughs> something to be concerned with because the structural integrity of your house is pretty important for you to be able to live in there without it all falling down on top of you. So uh, this is a situation that is not tenable to coexist peacefully with termites in your walls. Unfortunately, another sign of termites is actually frass. So frass are these little wood pellets you might see in a pile. And these are actually little wood-filled termite turds. So if you see what looks like a pile of tiny wood pellets that keep reappearing even after you sweep it, that is another sign. So yeah, if you hear that noise or you uh, see those little piles of frass, you should probably call pest control because you got a situation. That would be so upsetting to find that. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I got a lot like our apartment has these beautiful wood beams and I'm always just squinting at them looking for any signs of trouble. <laughs> no, you can't do that. You can't spend your time in Italy squinting at the ceiling. You got to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's your opinion. But to, uh, this week's mystery animal sound, the hint is, is this an okay gecko or maybe a blank blank? one like air being let out of a sad balloon so you got any guesses Catherine unfortunately I feel like I don't know enough about jungle animals to to even guess like some sort of frog well I mean look any guess I think is a good one because uh if I tried to play this game I don't think I would do as well as my listeners do to be honest with you yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, I'm not going to tell you whether you're right or wrong because you will have to wait <laughs> all the way until next Wednesday for the answer. And I certainly won't just tell you after we turn off a recording. I would never do that. Uh, <laughs> I am a fair and just podcast host. Uh, <laughs> 
So yes, you're known if for you that. out there think you know who is squawking, you can send me an email at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. Uh, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today on this culinary journey from vomiting flamingos to goats and trees. Where can the people find you? Oh, let's see. Um, well, my podcast is called Smart Mouth, and that's two words, smart and mouth. Um, and I'm on all the social media, like Instagram at Smart Mouth Podcast. Um, I have a newsletter, smartmouth.substack.com. And then on Twitter, just at Catherine Spires. And you can find the podcast on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. Uh, yeah, and hey, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you listeners out there. It feels it's such a privilege to be here all nestled inside your ears. Uh, and hey, but if you're enjoying the show and you have the time uh, and the inclination, if you left a review for me or a rating, I would greatly appreciate that. It means so much to me, both in terms of just making me feel good. I read the reviews. They make me happy. Uh, it also feeds the algorithm, which I must always obey. So, yeah, if you are enjoying the show and you want to help out, if you leave a rating and a review, that is just so good. So excellent. And, hey, thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Where have you listened to your favorite shows? Look, I honestly, between you and me, I don't care where you listen to your podcast. It could be anything. Any way, any shape, any form. See you next Wednesday. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. 
Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.